The Space Case Sarah Show with the space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin. Who is Space Case Sarah? Spunky, edgy, smart, funny, and a rebel feminist. Now, witness it yourself on iRock Space Radio. Hello, space enthusiasts, and welcome to another episode of the Space Case Sarah Show with my space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, here on iRock Space Radio. We are doing another of my favorite episodes, which is Science for Good, where we bring someone on who is involved or does something that is involved with space or space science that does it for a good cause. But before we introduce our guest, as always, we're going to go through the usual protocol, which is, and I'm very proud that I looked it up, is going over our element for the show today, which today is nickel. I looked it up. I actually have a poster of the um, periodic table for my kids that's like uh, very, very childlike. And I went over to their poster and I looked at it and I said, nickel comes after cobalt. So I know what we're doing. Um, So, uh, gentlemen, what do we have for the nickel element episode? Nickel. Nickel is actually uh, somewhat closely related to iron, our last episode that we did with uh, Astrolora, because both nickel and iron come from supernovas. When they explode, these stars at the end of their lives produce nickel and iron. And um, often we have these meteorites that are heavy metal that land on Earth. Heavy metal. Um, and they are nickel iron. Heavy metal. Now, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't sure whether to start with that um, or like these other kind of interesting facts that are totally unscientific but hilarious in my opinion um which well, is let's that those <laughs> so leave the science aside let's just go with hilarity i mean yeah <laughs> the fact that so nickels as as y'all know um are used in currency and up until I think 2006, there was an issue in America where the actual value, if you took nickels and melted them down, was about double the value of, value the of a nickel. It was like you could get like nine cents <laughs> or nine and a half cents from melting down a nickel. And so America had to legislate that you were not allowed to do that. And since then, the value has gone down. So people don't do it. I think the value is now like four. 4.5 cents. <laughs> um, Perfect. But the but the other thing that I thought was kind of hilarious was that two years later, Nickel won um, the Allergy Association of America Award for Allergen of the Year because some people have nickel allergies. Wow. I do. Yeah. Me. Really? Yeah, really? I do. Yeah. Nickel is um, surprisingly in... Um, in a lot of things, including white gold. And so um, I actually can't wear things that are white gold because of the nickel. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I knew people had allergies to uh, white gold or mm-hmm. to silver, but I never thought it was because, it because of the, of the nickel. nickel. Yeah. And it's also, yeah, in like yeah. The, the metal of the buttons of your jeans. That can really irritate me as well. Yep. Wow. Rainbow. The more you know. (laughs) (laughs) Fun facts all around. Fun facts. I love that. I love that. Um, Yeah. The the fact that the the cost of nickel was more (laughs) than the value of it. Like, that's so America right there. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, to our guest who has not been exposed to our sense of humor quite yet, um, because we have, you know, someone here who usually uses the metric system, we like to make like kind of rip on America references to that. And so we have conversion scales of eagles to freedom and um, 
things like that. So four eagles, four eagles per and then we rounded up turkey. to turkeys if we need to. So all right, vegetable. <laughs> One point. Yeah, what, what, calculator what? I can use, or <laughs> we have to develop that still. Yes, okay. we need to right, make a little eagle conversion. <laughs> mm, gosh, that'd be funny. All right. Benjamin. Yes, yes ma'am. Uh, this is our 20, this is our 28th episode, the nickel episode, and it should be airing on February 25th. So happy astronaut birthday to United States Air Force Lieutenant General Susan Helms, who is a veteran of five shuttle flights and a stay on one of the first expeditions on the ISS back in 2001. And happy scientist birthday to John Evershed, English astronomer who discovered the Evershed effect or the horizontal motion of gases outward from sunspots. Yes, I, I obviously knew that. <clears throat> Everyone knew that. And now, you, well, now we need now to convert it to eagles. Um, but <laughs> yeah, how many eagles? How many eagles what? is an Evershed? <laughs> 42. <laughs> Awesome. Perfect. Exactly. Well, uh, reminder, we are all um, available to be found on all the time wasters, as the guys would say on social media. But I would love to now direct the attention to the guest of the show. Um, this is a person that I have actually gotten to work with multiple times over the years through Sidewalk Astronomy. Um, and he is, oh gosh, you told me your title and I like already can't remember it. But he is the educational outreach person for an organization called GLASS, which is an acronym for Geneva Lakes Astrophysics and STEAM. So he is based out of Lake Geneva, um, well, Williams Bay, Wisconsin. I'm, I'm, it's Lake Geneva area. And um, I, don't, I don't know how much into the, the backstory of how you guys formed you want to get into or not, but um, Yerke's Observatory is a, a super historic, very cool observatory in Williams Bay, um, when Albert Einstein came to the United States to visit, he only had two requests of places to go. One was Niagara Falls and the second was Yerkes Observatory. And he ended up visiting that institution and it's considered the birthplace of modern astrophysics. So it's a super, super cool, really unique building. And unfortunately, uh, back in 2018, the University of Chicago, who was running it, decided that they no longer wanted to use it for educational purposes. And so they decided to um, let it go. And unfortunately, the way that the will was written <laughs> for it, it needed to be returned back to the family. Uh, right. Which family was it? The, the Yerkes family? It wasn't the Yerkes family. Was it the Yerkes family? Yeah, it was to Yerkes family. Yerkes family. And so there was a huge legal kind of thing that went down. During this time, the educational staff from Yerkes took all of their content and all of the uh, other telescopes and they started their own nonprofit. And they are continuing their educational initiatives, um, which is how the formation of GLASS has come to come about. <clears throat> and the reason I really wanted to bring Adam on is because they do this super cool initiative called iData, and they do a lot of work for astronomy for the visually impaired. And that is just so, like, I feel like anyone you ever talk to and you say, this group does astronomy for the blind, you know, they'd be like, what? 
how does that work? So I wanted to bring Adam on to talk about what he is doing. And then we're also partnering for a kind of a, a grand first star party back at Yerkes because Yerkes has been restructured and reopened under a foundation. And it's kind of being presented more as a historical institution plus outreach. It's a little bit different than what it was doing before, but still they asked us to come back and help with a Messier Marathon. So we'd like to also talk about the Messier Marathon and what we're doing there. So welcome Adam to the show. Thanks for having me on again. I'm welcome, really welcome. excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks. For- and we are both in the same geographical area and we're both uh, experiencing not quite, I think, the snowpocalypse that was predicted, but a pretty solid snowstorm right now. So <laughs> as as things do uh, happen in this part of our region. But Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about your like your science background? Um, I love asking people what their science origin story is. So what's your science origin story? So I will probably have a different story than many people you'll talk to that are into astronomy. I went to uh, Carthage College uh, undecided. I had no idea what I wanted to do. But I uh, had taken some AP courses, so I got some things out of the way. Uh, like I had two math AP courses, so I got there. I was like, I've got one science lab class to take, and I never have to take a science class or math class ever again. <laughs> and I, that, I feel like a lot of us actually relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah I, I was never really into science. It wasn't something that really hooked me for some reason, but I took an astronomy lab class and every lab every chapter like i mean i mean i don't have to tell you guys how fascinating even intro astronomy is but about halfway through the uh, semester uh, my professor asked if anybody wanted to fill any of the two vacant spots on an observing run to kit Kit peak national observatory to study planetary nebula and uh, i'm not normally the person to kind of like you know speak up or like jump at those types of things but my hand shot up i I just had to buy a plane ticket. I got to go spend three nights out on the mountain. Uh, it rained the first two nights and then was 100% humidity the last night. So <laughs> we didn't get to actually move the telescope, but we did get to take a dab, uh, that was a 10-inch dab that was in the back at the 0.9 win. Uh, we took it out on top of the mountain, and uh, my professor showed us a Jupiter, a galaxies, nebula, everything you can think of. And I decided right then that that this is what I want to do from now on. And so when I got back from that trip, I talked to an advisor and I switched my major and uh, then went to study physics. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's awesome. I think a lot of us actually do have that that stumble into... Um, any sort of sciences moment and uh, for many of us especially with space science it is that that sidewalk astronomy that um, just that really basic seeing what a lot of astronomers and by the way Adam and I um, are going to have a beef here because he he's like he's not interested in the moon so <clears throat> we're going to talk about that but um, I love the the that that's like the entry point that's like the gateway drug if you will for so many people into figuring out that they want to pursue studying science um, is that that aha moment when they look through a telescope and they actually see it with their own eyes for the first time and they're like wow that's just incredible um I, I think that that is actually, I didn't really know your story and your background, so that's fantastic. So, um, which is kind of ironic that 
you're going to come and talk to us now, though, about astronomy for the visually impaired, because we're talking about these aha moments. And so I'd love to kind of dip into more about how how do people who can't actually see it, how do they have those aha moments? Because in my experience in working with your organization and with Yerkes, there are, um, especially the university I go to, UW-Whitewater, there are people that are there that are very involved in astronomy and and outreach and stuff like that. And so that'll be something that in the next segment we're going to talk about because we're going to stop for a quick break here and throw out all the handles. So this is the point where we're going to give you the shot to promote whatever you would like to promote social media wise. But I am Space Case Era. I am everywhere as such. And so that's pretty much my spiel. Kavi, go ahead. Um, I'm in a lot of places, but I'm not everywhere. You can find me at fun. He's not real. Science. He's in Australia. He's not real. So yeah. <laughs> I won't ever let that go. <laughs> fun Pack Science on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the good procrastination platforms. <laughs> Benjamino. And I am Benjamin from Science Actually on all the platforms, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, I think I have a thing. And apparently even Mastodon. Instagram and Mastodon, <laughs> I did a thing. And Hive. If you go to Hive, never. I'm there. And uh I know never heard of Hive. No worries. I got it. And so I had Hive. I'm there. Science actually is everywhere. <laughs> yes. And then Adam, uh go ahead and where can people find you or, you know, glass? <laughs> Well, don't find me personally, but you can look for Glass Education <laughs> on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, or where kind of where most of our presence is. Uh, but you can find us on LinkedIn, uh, our website, glasseducation.org. Uh, it's Glass with one S, just so that is a very common misconception. <laughs> it's it's a pretty harmless misconception, though. There oh, are yeah. some there there are much worse things that could be misspelled, and then suddenly you're like, I don't need to get here. <laughs> Uh, anyway and also you can as always follow the station iRock Space Radio we are always giving away t-shirts and um, we have you know presences on presences presence on uh, Facebook and Instagram and, and all all of the time wasters with the station as well all so we're going to take a quick break and when we get back we're going to talk to Adam from Glass and talk about the like kind of mind blowing and just awesome things that your guy you, you know that you guys are doing for people um with low vision and impaired vision at your organization so you are listening to the space case air show with the space nerds kavi and benjamin here on irock space radio Welcome back to the Space Case Sarah Show with the Space Nerds Kavi and Benjamin here on iRock Space Radio. We have my guest today, Adam from Geneva Lakes Astrophysics and Steam Glass, which is the, you know, as in all things space science, acronyms are like life. So obviously <laughs> he has one as well. And he is, um, you've been, how long have you been? Glass, how long? So 2018, right? You guys pretty much formed formally right after your key shut down? Yes. Uh, I think the formation began about middle of 2018 during the shutdown. And then uh, I kind of officially joined Glass. I started as a volunteer and officially joined in about, I think, November or December of 2018. Okay. 
So <clears throat> I mentioned it, the backstory a little bit in the first segment. So they're the, they were the educational team for Yerkes Observatory, which is based out of Williams Bay. Super, super cool. I mean, just go Google it really quick and see all the people who have studied and did work there, including a, a mutual legend that we all love, Carl Sagan. Um, he worked on his master's there as well. And so um, they... The observatory shut down and they did not want their educational uh, content to go to just disappear. So they formed their own organization and now they're continuing to keep it going. And um, why don't you talk a little bit, Adam, about Glass as a whole and then talk a little bit about iData. All right. So, uh, yeah, so at Glass, we do uh, quite a few things, but I think one of the things that we really excel at and is kind of one of the big niches is uh, in kind of that accessibility for science area. Um, so our president, uh, Kate Meredith, was working on the iData project along with uh, multiple other organizations. It was an NSF project. And uh, so she's really kind of developed a lot of those um, skills of working with uh blind educators, blind students, blind scientists. Um, so one of the cool things with the iData project, um, and I think it started back in uh, 2015 or 16, and um, they wanted to build software and um, curriculum for students that were blind or visually impaired. And one of the things that I think not many people, it's not something that comes to mind, but astronomy is inherently a very visual science to many. Um, most people have, when they think of astronomy, they think, oh, they picture some sort of visual. Well, some people can't really do that. And so the um, representation in astronomy and many other STEM fields uh, of people that are blind or low vision tends to be lower because there are higher barriers of entry. So iData was one of many projects that its goal was to develop this software that would help make astronomy more accessible to that community. And the really cool thing that they did is that they had um, blind scientists working on this. They had blind students working on this. And so they really made sure that they were involved in the entire development process because making something for some group is not as good as making something with a certain group. And so that was one of the really cool things that iData did really well. And so that software is uh, actually still used in a couple other things. Um, and after it's called Afterglow Access. Um, it's this incredible software. You can load fits images in. You can sonify them. Um, so you can choose like the... Um, the direction you can choose change pitches how many tones there are um one of the things that cool things that has come out of that at glass is uh kate now kind of leads the sonification world chat which has kind of become this really cool collaboration of organizations and individuals around the world that are working on sonification sharing information that they've learned sharing the stuff that they're working on and uh kind of coming together to kind of push some of those uh, ideas and projects forward. Yeah. So to give our listeners a bit of a context, too, of what sonification means is basically there's sort of like a bar that goes across a picture of the night sky and each light point basically is assigned a tone and whatever that light point is has a certain pitch. So as it goes across, it makes this noise. And actually, I think what I'm going to do in post-production is find... 
a sonification sound so that our listeners can hear it because what better platform to actually demonstrate what this is than the radio? Um, I, I, novel concept. Um, so the, the, the concept of it though is, is super, super cool because, um, like a lot of people don't realize that when, you know, it seems overwhelming to you as a, a visually, um, you know, seeing is kind of our primary, one of the strongest primary intakes of information that we get as human beings. And if that's taken away, the other senses get increasingly heightened. So to you listening, you're like, holy roof, that's like a like a lot of noise. But to someone who can't see, they can they can pick apart all those different tones and tell what is happening mm-hmm. in that image. And it's so clever. Um, also, you guys, and I've, I've seen this myself, which was so cool. You guys do a lot with 3D printing, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to um, making things, you know, accessible for people that are blind and visually impaired, uh, outside of, you know, sonifying, you know, making those things uh, kind of an audio version, you can also make them tactile. And so a lot of the stuff that we do is making things that are um, 3D printed because I, today now 3D printers are pretty widespread. I think most people uh, either have a 3D printer or know someone that has a 3D printer. Uh, and so, <laughs> and so, yeah, when you have like access to a tool like that and you can create um, these uh, uh, objects that allow you to kind of see in a different sense, you know, feel like actual objects in space. Um, so some of the ones that are really cool that we've done is uh, one of my favorites, and this is kind of outside of the IData project, but um, we've created this game we call, we usually refer to it as the Galaxy Cards or Galaxy Dominoes, but we basically have 52 printed cards that are kind of about the size of maybe like, you know, three by five inches and each one has a different galaxy from the sloan digital sky survey and then on each edge uh two of them are features of the galaxy so knots um uh you know things like uh oh i'm already blanking on all of them but you know different actual like physical components of the galaxies then you have like the general shape and then on one side you have a bar that represents kind of the overall color of the galaxy based on the spectra from the sloan digital sky survey and you flip the card over you have the actual spectra. So you can, if you put one in the middle and everybody has a couple of cards, you can play it like dominoes, matching up features. And then once you've kind of spread all those cards out, matching up features, you can look, start to look at them and help teach how we categorize galaxies, how we kind of separate them out and teach a lot about uh, those different aspects in a way that is not you know, just for people that are blind or visually impaired, but it's also really cool for any type of tactile learner, people that like to have things in their hands and like be doing something as they learn. So it's a very, very cool tool. And it's actually up on our website under the resources. So if you have a 3D printer and you want to try it out, it's a really cool um, thing to print and give a go. Hmm. See, this is why we throw out the handles right at the beginning. I want to hand the uh, mic over, so to speak, to the guys and let them ask you some questions because I'm super, you know, familiar with what you do and, you know, where you're located and, and uh, you know, what all the things that we've been involved with, but they don't know as much as I do. So I love for them to ask any questions that might be popping up in their head. I was um, kind of curious. I mean, um, 
I'm familiar with the concept of sonification. There was this um, uh, great podcast that I uh, used to listen to called Astro Soundbites, um, where they would include a sonification every week of, you know, these different sounds. And um, I think it's really fascinating, right? Like there are different aspects, like you were saying, not just for people who are blind or visually impaired, um, different aspects that um, people who don't have visual impairments maybe wouldn't have noticed if they hadn't heard it or if they hadn't felt it in the tactile sense. Um, I guess my question is, I'm, I'm curious, are there ways that um, the tools that you guys have created are being used in active research at the moment or in education in an active way? Uh, that's a really good question. So one of the ways that they are being used at the moment, like so I mentioned Afterglow Access that really came out of the IData project. Um, it's actually already now a central part of two other large grants um, out of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And that's the uh, Our Place in Space and the Multi-Wavelength Universe curriculum. And so those are both working on making like actual curriculum centralizing using this tool so that's accessible for anyone. And so um, those are things that like, you know, Glass um, has worked on and been part of. And uh, we have developed a lot of cool things, mostly tactile. Uh, when it comes to sonification, uh, Kate likes to refer to herself more as like the, the den mother of sonification world chat. Um, <laughs> as far as like developing tools in house, um, it I think more glass is more on the edge of making sure people are connected and working together and keeping people that are in the communities that these are designed for involved. Nice. That's really cool. I think uh, honestly, a lot of the world could benefit from these tools because Sometimes people, when they see numbers and graphs and plots, they just kind of freak out. They're like, ah, no, no signs for me. Thank you. <laughs> um, but sonification really does have a much wider reach um, for, for everyone. Like it's, it's much more accessible intellectually. You can, especially if you hear a sonification of orbits or something, right? It's periodic. So you can hear a rhythm and it kind of literally resonates with people. So yeah, wow. It's just incredible work. <laughs> Yeah, Kavi had a, he did a sonification, or you shared a sonification of, what was it, the the change of um, the Earth's temperature? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did, I made a sonification with uh, solar um, irradiance data, and I basically made two different sound files. One, a sonification of average global temperatures over the past 150 years, and the other one of average uh, solar irradiance. And so, you know, the solar radiance has this 11-year cycle and it's going up and down, has a very clear up and down sound to it, whereas the uh, average global temperatures kind of just go... Uh, so it was yeah. an interesting way to present this idea that, yes, the sun is definitely increasing and decreasing, but it is uh, very separate from the change that we're seeing in our climate. It was good. It was Kind of creepy, almost. Benjamin, do you have any questions? Do you have questions? Yeah. Okay. I do, actually, uh, about the 3D printing thing. That's his thing. Um, I saw online. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, and I might start printing some of these things myself. Um, I saw online uh, 3D printing, like uh, I guess, the, a celestial sphere. So you can feel the night sky in your hands where all the constellations are in relativity relative to each other which i thought was just brilliant and the, the domino's card game that you mentioned brilliant i was wondering what other types of things could you know be taught through 3d printing i just find that fascinating as i'm looking at the <laughs> printer over here looking for something to do um 
I, I, I just, those two things are, I, are incredible concepts. I was wondering what other 3D things are there that are tactile that would help teach a strong. So one of the really cool things is like with, with 3D printing is it also helps uh, not just for making, you know, like one solid thing that's 3D printed, but if you were trying to design uh, something and you just don't have that part, you know, plugging that hole, you know, fixing, creating the exact part that you need. And so one of the things that kind of comes to mind is right now, uh, Kate is working on with, it's either Opus or MWU, one of those two grants that I mentioned earlier, earlier about uh, making a Pulsar model. And so she's actually been taking a, uh, a uh, lacrosse ball and we drill holes in it to have kind of like the magnetic poles. And so we 3D printed pieces that can kind of represent the 3D poles and then have those lines coming out representing the magnetic field lines. And so those are all kind of 3D printed and connected. And then uh, you stick like a wooden dowel through and you have like the axis of rotation and it kind of helps be able to demonstrate kind of like, you know, how those, why those pulsars kind of send out pulses as they're spinning. And you can kind of see like the change in the direction of like the magnetic fields and how everything kind of works that way. Um, Trying to go through the, all the things in my mind, um, models of telescopes. Uh, A lot of times, you know, with big telescopes, no one's going to let you go up there and start touching the, the telescope to get an idea of what it feels like, what it looks like, how it's kind of structured and everything like that. And so, um, and one thing you'll find online is uh, we've collected models from across the internet and um, we've tried to, you know, make sure we reference everywhere we've gotten them, but we kind of added them to our collection so that people can download them and find them in one place. And uh, you can kind of get an idea for how different telescopes look. So how does a radio telescope look versus an optical telescope versus an infrared telescope? Um, you know, James Webb versus Hubble, um, things like that. So uh, there's uh, really with the cool thing with 3D printing is I feel like we're always coming up with a new idea of something that we can print and then it's just going out and picking out which which color do we want to grab next for a PLA to print <laughs> and I I'm sorry go ahead Benjamin no I'm just was, oh. <laughs> I, I've been to uh, so they've, they've had two offices now and I've been to their second office uh, this past summer to return a job that I had long term borrowed and I was very sad to get back and um, and the, the like the little 3D printer section in the back yeah those things were just worrying away like it's it's a beautiful facility a beautiful space that you moved into too it's it's just a really cool kind of it gives you that like google office vibe where it's like open and it's really light and it's airy and it's just it's a cool space we need to take a break and then we need to talk a little bit about monsieur marathon madness and the stuff that we're doing for that and uh let the guys ask some more questions if they have any questions so we're gonna take a quick break if you are listening on the station we'll be back after uh, a little bit of some music maybe advertising and when you get back we're going to talk a little bit more with adam from geneva lakes astrophysics and steam otherwise known as glass you are listening to the space k sarah show with my space nerds kavi and benjamin here on irock space radio Welcome back to the Space Case Air Show with my space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, and our special guest this week for Science for Good, Adam from Geneva Lakes Astrophysics and STEAM, who is talking to us about the different initiatives that this organization does, particularly for those that are visually impaired, which is such a, like, 
out there concept, I think, for the average person, if you were saying like, yeah, uh, we do, you know, we make accessible things for astronomy for the visually impaired, they'd be like, what? Um, and so Kavi, during our break, came up with a good idea, and he suggested that we play something for you that has been sonified. So basically giving uh, an assigned sound for different objects in the night sky. We're going to play a little clip of something for you. And this is your opportunity to win something from the station. We'll send you something if you can guess it. I feel like this is going to be incredibly difficult for the average person. But give us your best shot. What you think this sound is. Loving my court. So, if you have an idea of what that sound may be... Let us know in uh, in the comments on our social media, wherever you see this episode being referenced. If you think you know what that is, make a comment. And uh, if you're right, I will send some swag your way. Um, Adam and I are also, in addition to the various things that we do in our own individual quarters of the psychom and astro world we're coming together back to kind of like the og like the place that inspired us all and if i have to give a little backstory of of my personal meaning towards yerkes so yerkes observatory is where we're going to be um helping with a messier marathon and adam used to be affiliated with that when glass was the education department within yerkes observatory and I actually, and I don't know why, because the guys know my backstory as well. My mom would take us to Yerkes for star parties on the lawn. Um, when I was really little, I remember a comet passed by and there were astronomers with telescopes on the lawn. And I remember going to that and being really confused why we couldn't go inside the observatory, like why we couldn't use the observatory. Why were we on the lawn and not being able to look through the big telescope? Going to the observatory, just talk <laughs> right. to the observatory. Right. Well, I mean, you could take tours of the observatory and then they would explain on the tour that, you know, it's a it's a working scientific instrument. It's not exactly something that just the general public can like willy nilly use. Luckily for me in the the very tail end of its of the the way that it was operating previously um, out of, I, I would assume, probably a very desperate grab for money to keep things going. They started opening tours up for nighttime telescope views. And so you could you could book a nighttime tour and get to look through the big telescope. And I had to res- uh, reschedule four times because of the weather. Um, and I like I was doggedly like I was like, no, I hear rumors that they're going to close this down. And then no one knew at that time what was going to happen. And I was like, no, I am going to get to look through this telescope that Hubble did, that Carl Sagan did, like like Sarah Treadwell is going to get to see through this telescope, too. God damn it. And so I <laughs> rebooked it four times. 
finally got to uh, look through the big telescope. And um, and then I think a month later, it shut down. So that's sort of my, you know, my my backstory with the observatory. And so it was sort of, I don't know, surreal to get to walk into that building last month and be there after that was, you know, 2018, the last time I saw it and just kind of revisit the space that, you know, I, I got to go on tour so many times as a kid. So to be able to partner and be a part of this Messier Marathon is super meaningful to me. But Adam, why don't you explain to people what a Messier Marathon is and have you ever successfully completed a Messier Marathon? Because this is like, I don't know, the third year I've been involved with you in some shape or form of a Messier Marathon. So (laughs) have you ever actually finished it? So... Uh, Messier Marathon. So if anybody that's not familiar with Charles Messier, he I'll give the kind of the short version of this story. But long story short, he really liked comets and he did really care about anything else. So every time he spotted something faint and fuzzy in the sky and it didn't move and it was not a comet, he wrote it down and he was annoyed. So he moved on to the next one. (laughs) And after a while, he built up this list and then others came along and helped fill the list out. Right. But it ended up being 110 objects of things that he had no interest in, did not care about, were uninteresting to him. He just wanted comets. And now today, it's the list of the most celebrated like objects the in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> and it's what he's famous for. So it's it's really one of those, the ultimate ironies of, of like astronomy history there. Um, right. And now once a year during, uh, I think in, from March into early April, the sun isn't in the way of any of them in the sky. So when the sun sets, if you start right away, you can get all 110 objects in one night. And to answer your question, I fortunately have not finished or completed one entirely. I. Uh, How far did you get? I. Ooh. So the first time we tried, <laughs> 58 is the farthest that I've gotten for sure. Wow. Um, that was last year. And uh, so that was we we had EV scopes going. So uh, we actually made commemorative posters. And so this this uh, Messier Marathon will actually be the third straight Messier Marathon I've participated in on the Yerkes lawn. So three years running Uh, back in uh, 2021. uh, The board was nice enough to just let us camp out in the lawn with an EV scope and we live streamed it. And thank you to Sarah for helping. you know, make that interesting and fun for the audience on YouTube at the beginning of that. And then last year, um, we held a bigger event and the Yerkes Future Foundation was very gracious. They allowed our guests to come in, take a tour of the building. Um, They even got to go up and uh, see the telescope. Obviously not look through it yet, but they got to go get a whole tour of the building, which was really, really cool of them. And now we're working with them to help them kind of launch their initial star party and uh, then after that as a thank you to all the amateur astronomers that are helping with the event we get a Messier marathon on the grounds of the coolest observatory in the world in my opinion it is one of the coolest and uh, yeah um, I guess I didn't also explain why it's it's so cool so when it was built that was the world's largest refracting telescope that thing is a monster it's the just even when I went in and saw it last uh, you know last month a couple weeks ago like I just it like took my breath away again. It's so big. It's really impressive. But then the um the architecture of the building is like kitschy unique. It's it's so funny. The guy who designed it, um, 
he put all these different like hidden meanings in the columns and the rock sculpture. So you kind of like once you know the stories and you go around because there's the one that he he was knocking on. Was it Yerkes again? Was it him with the B and the and the nose? Was it Yerkes or who was that? The was B and the nose. That was Rockefeller. Oh, Rockefeller. He was uh, c- commenting on the University of Chicago stinging him for more money as Rockefeller was the main funder of the University of Chicago from its conception. Inception? Yeah, conception. And so, yeah, there was a bee stinging the nose. And then when um, when it was noticed, their cooler heads did not prevail. And they were like, cut, like carve that out. So like the bee got like chipped out of the column. So <laughs> um, it's just, it's a really fascinating place and it's really cool. And yeah, um, so we've been doing this mar- marathon thing for a couple of years. I don't think it was a participant last year because I think I was on my Mars expedition when you guys did that last year. So I wasn't able to participate. But um, the EV scopes, by the way, are these really high tech, very cool telescopes that can connect to the Internet and show pictures to people's phones like you can literally connect to it with your phone and you can see it. So it's been a super handy tool for these kinds of outreaches because I know some serious astronomers are like, EV scopes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) New fangled technology. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm going to let the guys uh, again take over really quick and ask any questions about the Messier Marathon and maybe, you know, um, like what 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 are the challenges or what do you find unique about it or what what is i mean i guess i should also give the context that adam and i are in the midwest so what's the challenge i can tell you that already it's freaking cold this is why i don't do it like i stay up for a while and then i'm like you will have fun so uh sounds like perfect viewing conditions to me (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if you have i'm gonna let benjamin start this time do you have any any um any anything you'd like to to ask about Messier marathons, Yerkes. What's the, or I'm sure there's some, but what's the easiest one to pinpoint and get out of the way quickest? And what's the hardest one to spot? Because some of them are actually quite small. They look not much different than a bright star. So it's kind of hard to tell. Right. Yeah. So the easiest one, um, right out of the gate, Pleiades. I mean, you can get that um, as soon as the sun's down, you can, with the, good job you can start to pick out the Pleiades already so the easiest one to pick out early is the Pleiades it's also very high as soon as the evening starts um as far as the hardest ones go I'd have to actually look at my sheet I think there are some that because especially from like the Yerkes lawn and so I guess my experience comes from just doing it from the, the lawn there are some that you can't actually get um and I I think mm-hmm. they're just some open clusters that are very very low like maybe even 20 degrees above the horizon and the tree line completely wipes them out um and so i think and it's like a small open cluster so the open clusters i think would i'd probably put in there some of sometimes they can be the hardest because uh you know so with open clusters sometimes you're not sure if that's the open cluster or just yeah a, more stars Smudge. Just, yeah yeah <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that's why he cataloged it in the first place right? yeah. that's a smudge which is point. why also i should know you know to do a messy marathon in the midwest is not probably that the top locational wise place to go and do it you ideally want to be like in the desert somewhere where you're in a dark sky location there's not a lot of tree line to block it um you're also not freezing 
you know, I, I feel like I know I'm kind of focusing on that multiple times, but seriously, like I, this is why I, I coin myself as the lazy astronomer. I'm like, how cold is it out there? Rare green comet. I don't care. That's too cold. <laughs> no, I don't care. <laughs> uh, Kavi. I had, I had a, a question that, um, maybe it's not something that you guys have considered recently, but, uh, it's become something that's more and more prevalent in Australia is connecting outreach groups, um, with, um, traditional astronomy of the, um, Aboriginal peoples and, and first nation peoples in Australia. Um, I'm curious, is, is that something that is happening at all in, in your neck of the woods? I know that like Milwaukee itself as a name is, uh, Algonquin name, right? Um, so I'm sure that there's a lot of interesting Native American, uh, astronomy, uh, or history that could be taught. Absolutely. Yeah. There's tons of opportunities for that. I do know we have, um, had kind of commute talks and communications with, um, some tribes uh, that are further North in Wisconsin about doing stuff with astrotourism as ways for them to kind of help generate revenue and kind of, you know, uh, kind of get people involved and introduce more people to, uh, their culture because um, it's always really interesting to learn about other people's stories. I mean, there's only so many times I can talk about Orion or Cassiopeia and Perseus. <laughs> Sometimes I just need something new and a different take on some sort of famous pattern. Um, but as far as like uh, glass itself, um, we really, uh, really want to make sure that if we go into any area that's not something we have a background in. We want to be working with the community that really knows that and has like that connection to it. And we haven't really developed any of those um, relationships yet. So we don't really want to jump into the world of, you know, talking about uh, Native American star lore, because I know there are certain stories that you are not allowed to tell in different mm -hmm. seasons. Um, so we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to, you know, uh, create any issues or, you know, mistell and you know, tell the wrong story and spread things that aren't true. So um, we'd love to develop those kind of ties and be able to incorporate that into what we do, but it's not something we've done yet. Yeah. Fair enough. As like you said at the beginning, it's, it's, you know, you want to be developing content with the groups that the content is for rather than developing it for people. Um, yeah, I respect that. And if there is anybody listening out there who uh, has a connection that could be helpful, I would highly recommend uh, tweeting to us or reaching out to us or to Glass. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Could be room for future collaboration. On that note, I'd like to give one little shout out to um, the UW-Milwaukee Planetarium. Uh, Gene Creighton, who is the director there, has put together planetarium shows with those communities and has done an incredible job. Really? So I know that, um, I don't know, they don't put it on often, but when they do, they actually have worked with those communities and have done a really amazing job. Oh, well. That's super cool. Yeah, I know that um, NASA Astrobiology focuses on that as well, and they have an initiative that that. Um, they do like camps for that kind of content. And um, but Daniela, who I admire very much, um, has she said that it t it took so long to develop the relationships to get to that point, to be able to even get to that point. Um, so it's definitely not something yeah, that you want to barrel into um, without some consideration and you know mindfulness so um but that's a great question and yeah actually uh, you know 
the only time I think I've ever seen the Milky Way was way up north in um, kind of like the Rhinelander area, which is very, very far north Wisconsin. But the, the the pro and the con of that is you can see it. There's not a lot of light pollution, but there it's you're in the middle of forests, so you see a little little patch right there. But that's about all. Is it, is it cold? Um, in the, well, yeah, in the summer it's, it's warm, but so it's by, uh, I used to go up there vacationing by a lake and the lake, oh gosh, Kavi, I hate converting temperatures for some reason. I don't know why. Um, oh, it was cold. Oh, that's a cold lake. It's like, and maybe we'll get to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So what's that? Celsius. Stupid. Oh, at least three. <laughs> three at least and, and maybe 17 turkeys um yeah it's so freaking cold well actually that lake was so cold that um i don't want to say seaweed because it's not seaweed but you know what i mean like plant life in the water can't grow because it's too cold and they don't get enough sunlight so it's a really yeah <laughs> cold clear lake emphasis on the cold um <laughs> well we are gonna have to actually wrap this up i just realized we're already hitting 16 minutes and that went super duper duper fast yeah um yeah so adam and i we're gonna be doing the messy marathon at yerkes observatory march 17th i rock space radio will be airing pseudo-ish live and i say pseudo-ish live because there's going to be a bit of a delay but that will give the opportunity for what i'm hoping to do is to nab kids and stuff to come and talk about what like what they love about space and then we can say hey grandma grandpa tune in to irock space radio and so that little delay will probably actually be helpful but we're going to be airing live from that event um i'm probably again i'm a wimp so i don't think i'll be making it through the whole messier marathon but we'll see we'll see what what happens um <laughs> adam will be there with glass he's got a whole crew assembled we got food coming in for the volunteers it's gonna be really awesome and in like really exciting news when when we've talked about bringing him on to uh to talk about this event i had thought maybe we would need to do so in an effort to kind of help promote it but we uh, had a meeting the other day and the tickets almost are already sold up for the whole nice. night. So, yeah, we are like not struggling whatsoever to get a crowd coming in. So fingers crossed. Adam almost jinxed it. I'm saying almost because I'm not I'm it's going to be it'll be fine. He's like, you know, every year I've done it. It's always been clear. And he's like, I'm probably jinxing it now, haven't I? And so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's going to be fine. Um and I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much for coming on, Adam. This is my pleasure. pleasure to meet you, Adam. Thank you. Yeah. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah. You and um, as a reminder, you can find him at, is it glasseducation.org? Right? Is that what yes. you said? Okay. Glass Education, one S on that Glass Education. You can find all their initiatives that they're doing. Find out how you can help support them. I'm sure there are some links to also like donating if you wanted to donate to their cause. Um, and, you know, again, social media, Space Case Sarah, Kavi Rose at Fun Fact Science, Benjamin at Science Actually, Actually Science, depending on your platform. And uh, you're listening to the Space Case Sarah show here on IROC Space Radio. You've been listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with the space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, a production of iRock Space Radio. Go to iRockSpaceRadio.com for more.